Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nazi V-2 was a rocket-powered bomb travelling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V-2 come into existence, and why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, fellow 20-somethings. It's your girl, Sydney Winter. And guess what? The wait is finally over. Season four of Crying in Public is here, and I'm flying solo for the very first time. That's right, no co-host to rein me in, just me and myself in the mic. From relationships to careers and all the awkward encounters in between, we're covering it all. So mark your calendars and set your reminders because Crying in Public is dropping its juiciest season yet. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Justin Richmond, host of the Broken Record Podcast. Join me along with co-host Leah Rose as we sit down with the artists you love to get unparalleled creative insight. You'll hear revealing interviews with some of the most legendary figures in music like Paul Simon, Usher, Pete Townsend, Damon Albarn of the Gorillaz, and Missy Elliott. And you'll hear from up-and-comers like jazz artist Leve, who told me about her fast rise to fame during the pandemic. Listen to Broken Record on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a great show coming for you this week. Crushes in for the takeaways. We got a special guest to break down quarterback play across the sport through three weeks of NFL action. Fabs is in with his fantasy and DFS stuff. We get to your questions as we always do in a six-pack, but I got to start by giving you guys a quick update. We recorded with Gresh, the takeaways with Gresh, before the news broke. Now the Titans-Steelers game, in case you missed it, scheduled for Sunday, has officially been postponed. The NFL said in a statement on Wednesday morning that they would like to move it to Monday or Tuesday. Whether or not they're able to do that or they've got to move it later in the season, that's all going to come down to the result of COVID-19 testing over the next few days. Um, in Nashville, can we? Can we push so we'll see. Back, we'll see what I happens there. Like, but like, just I, so you I, guys I, know, Gresh and I did record the takeaways before that news broke. So with that out of the way, let's go. All right, in three, two, one. All right, welcome back in. It's the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer. It is about to be week four, week three is in the books. We have a little bit of a show announcement to make here, right off the top. People who've been listening to me for the last four years. Um, we're going back to the way it used to be, um, where we're going to have separate feeds. We teased this a couple of weeks ago. It's going to allow each of us to sort of differentiate our shows a little bit more. And so the feed that you've been listening to me on, that's going to be Gary's Monday morning show from now on. 
Jenny and Connor's show, the Weekside Podcast. That's going to have its own feed. We're still working out logistics for how, I think it's going to be called the Albert Breer Show, but if you search my name, it'll pop up. Um, how that feed's going to work. It may be the old feed that we were using before. It may be a brand new feed. But one way or the other, we are splitting the podcast up into three different feeds. Excited about that. Excited because we've got a lot of cool things that I think we're going to do with my show. And that, of course, is going to include our friend Andrew Gresh the Third. Gresh, what's up? You're killing me. I need to change my Zoom name, apparently. Well, you know what my Zoom name is, right? I do, but I'm but I don't want heat with your wife yeah. in mentioning her on this in ripping you. So that's why I leave that alone because she's the real cherub in the family. Yeah, apparently it showed up on TV last night too. Where I'll I'll send you the tweet later. Somebody tweeted to me, you know the little thing at the bottom in the bottom corner like where they can see the name. Apparently that showed up on NBC Sports Boston last night. So Emily got a little bit of airtime there. Uh all right, we're going to jump into into week four here, Gresh. And, um, you know, I think where we have to start with the takeaways and my first takeaway from the week is, um, you know, now the NFL is really going to get tested on COVID uh, because, you know, through three weeks, everything had gone well. Um, and really, I mean, more than just three weeks, really through two months, everything had gone well. Um, you know, I think that there's good and bad to this, okay? And so, like, to kind of illustrate that to you, I'm going to give you the timeline, all right? So Shane Bowen, who is the Titans' outside linebackers coach, he's their defensive coordinator, their de facto defensive coordinator. Um, he came up positive and um, a COVID test on Saturday morning. It was a test that was administered on Friday, so he was pulled off the team's trip to Minnesota. So then, you know, the team gets on the plane, travels to Minnesota, comes back. All those guys were tested on Sunday. They tested, um, they tested negative. Those guys are all cleared to play. They aren't tested on Saturday. They come back. Those guys test on Monday, and then you have the outbreak on Tuesday morning. Three players, um, five football staffers. I, I, my, my understanding is some of those guys were coaches. Um, those became confirmed positives. The lab ran the results. So, um, you know, you just – so if you look at the timeline there, so Bowen gets it, right, and – he has it, you know, presumably at practice on Friday and then everybody's cleared to play on Sunday and it doesn't really resurface again until Tuesday. So, Gresh, I'm going to look at this in two different ways. In one way, it's good news in that the idea that the, again, the idea that football is a super spreader doesn't really hold up because, I mean, again, unless there's like this incubation period and we have 20 positive tests all of a sudden later in the week, and I'm not ruling that out either. But so long as like the results that we've seen thus far, and there's only one more positive test on Wednesday morning, um, football didn't spread this on Sunday in a game situation, right? So that's, that's good news. The bad news is that I think this was sort of what everybody was worried about, which is, you know, you're sort of battling this invisible enemy and it's, I think, harder to get an invisible enemy out than it is to keep an invis invisible enemy out. And that invisible enemy entered the building, and the Titans did everything they could to try to control the problem. They took you know, a very important coach, probably the second or third most important coach on their staff, off of a trip, and it still didn't prevent it from spreading. And so uh, you know, I think there's good and bad to be taken from this, and I think the real test now comes because – Again, I think it's harder with COVID, and I'm not a doctor, but just you know, my own experience watching what's happened with pro sports teams over the last few months, it's a lot more challenging to 
get COVID out of a place than it is to keep COVID out of a place. Well, I know that when you and I discussed this originally, that was the whole thought, which was keep it out of the facility and you don't have to worry about it. And now we find out if the protocols that the NFL has in place have really been vetted, thought through, and now that we've got at least one, if not two teams who may end up having an issue, that super spreader element of this is one that I didn't think about, but I know what Notre Dame, they played South Florida. And first of all, like how does Brian Kelly allow these players to be that close at a team meal to where it can spread? And the only reason I use that as an example is, is because it feels like as a country, we want to go, we want to loosen up on how diligent we've been relative to COVID-19. And we've seen in some states, things have flared up. We've seen that even in the states that have done well, the positivity rate going up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So how much of this was just the natural kind of reaction or thought process that might be going on in America right now to where if you just have a little bit of a slip up, we can see the problem that it can create. To your point on the whole super spreader and that football being the being the super spreader, right now it doesn't look like there's a ton of evidence of that. Like I know in the college ranks, South Florida was affected, but if we have 18 Minnesota Vikings within the next three days that show up with COVID-19, then you, you've got a real problem there. And yeah. apparently, Bert, there's the whole contact tracing and these gizmos that the yep. that the players and so the those guys are wearing them. Wearing. Yeah, those guys are wearing them everywhere. They're wearing them during games too. So, like the NFL had all this data where they isolated all the close contacts, right? Like, so th that's the other part that's sort of interesting about all of this. So, yeah. So yesterday, um, Tuesday, when all this sort of went down, they like they went through the data and they identified everybody who'd been a, considered a quote unquote close contact to the people involved. And then all of those people were isolated as well. And those people aren't allowed sort of back into the ecosystem, which the ecosystems are shut down anyway. Now those buildings right. aren't, aren't open. Um, but those guys wouldn't have been allowed back into those quote unquote ecosystems as Sean McVay put it on hard knocks um, until they have a, a negative test, which those tests, they have to have the negative PCR test weren't com coming back until Wednesday. And so it's going to be interesting, you know, like seeing the way the rest of this week plays out. Um, I think the, you know, the, the Vikings and the Titans or the Vikings and the, um, the Vikings and the Texans will play, I think, because, uh, you know, my guess is the Vikings facility reopens on Thursday morning. The Steelers Titans game is a little more interesting because the Titans now, and I'd love to hear your take on this. The Titans now might be forced to play a game without a real practice unless they move it to Monday and then it'd be, then, then it'd be just one practice where the Steelers haven't had to really slam on the brakes at all. The Steelers can go forward. And so now you start to talk about competitive balance, right? And you could move the game and there's like a week seven, eight swap where you could do it. You move a Steelers Ravens game. And, but then the Steelers, you're, you're kind of screwing them because now all of a sudden they go into their bye week without really getting a bye week. And then they got to play 13 weeks in a row. So yeah, I mean, like it, it's it's tough because you're sort of screwing one or the other, and I think you're screwing the Titans harder than you'd be screwing the Steelers. But at the same time, it's not really the steel. The Steelers really aren't at fault at all here. 
So maybe that it's just you say tough luck. You know, it's your building that this happened to Tennessee. So now you got to deal with it. Well, and that's what I was going to say is the whole punitive damages here in terms of uh, if if it happened to the Titans and it's in their facility and they've got to manage it, then the opponent can't necessarily uh, be held accountable, nor should they be affected. And Bert, I think that every NFL head coach had to be prepared for this potential inevitability is that somebody was going to have an issue or a flare up and then it's how do you handle it? And luckily for the Titans, Bert, you know, there wasn't a massive amount of turnover on that roster. It's not like they were changing offensive schemes. They have a veteran quarterback. They have at least a head coach who has a lot of different varied experiences in different settings. The one thing I respect about Mike Vrabel is it wasn't, oh, I was a good player and I'm connected to Belichick, make me a head coach. He worked his way up through the ranks, and hopefully there are some people that he can lean on and call maybe even your buddy old Herb Meyer to, uh, hey, how do I manage this? How do we get a team ready without being able to practice? And this is where the guys that can really coach and connect with their football teams, to, to me, it, it gives them an advantage. And, Bert, let me segue into my uh, first mm-hmm. takeaway, which is we're in a new era of defense in the National Football League. Let's just be real about what the NFL has become defensively. Yes, you need big people up front, but the traditional run pluggers, the one or two down players – those, those days are gone, and you can look at, at the, the way, at least in our backyard, the way the New England Patriots are playing defense, which is with two guys in the middle, a traditional middle linebacker, that's almost like your triangle there as to how you try to handle the middle, and then it's a bunch of guys that are somewhere between six foot three and six foot six who are anywhere between 240 and 285 or 290 pounds that you're then rolling in and out of the lineup to try to no longer stop teams running games, Bert. I don't think teams are now loading up to stop the run. If they can do it with their personnel on the field, then great. But we're not seeing four and five defensive linemen being brought into a game anymore. You know, look at the way the Raiders are built long, rangy guys who can play in space with long arms that you hope can disengage from blocks and find ways to make tackles. We have seen some pretty bad defense so far in the early going, and we've seen some teams who have figured out, I think, the new way to play defense. And it used to be, well, if you could hold a team to under 100 yards rushing, you're a good defense. I think those days are gone now. And I think there are more coaches that are adopting the philosophy of let's let's get ourselves into a third down situation to where we can really take shots at quarterbacks. Let's make sure we have pass rush and that we're as good at tacklers as we can be. And then I think in a lot of ways, it's let the chips fall where they may because these offenses are so good and can spread you out and play in space now. And everybody's throwing the ball inside 10 yards in the line of scrimmage that if you can keep the point total down, the yards don't matter anymore. And it's interesting because, you know, you sort of saw that with the Chiefs, I think, on Monday night. And the way they've invested on the like, like in pass rushers and defensive back, like they they paid Tyron Matthew, they paid Frank Clark, they paid Chris Jones. Like it's hit the quarterback and cover on the back end. Uh, the Ravens the same way. Like they they tagged Matthew Judon. 
They have Marlon Humphrey, who I think they're going to wind up paying. They paid Marcus Peters. Um, they, like, at one point were paying Earl Thomas, so they've invested in the back end. Patriots, same thing. Like, you look at where their investment is. Their investment's all in the secondary. And so I think that there's a valid point there, no question. And, you know, like a lot of these defenses are built to play with leads. You know, like that's what the Chiefs are built to do. The, the, if you look at the Chiefs defense, they're, they're built to play with a lead. Um, the Ravens defense, I think it's part of the reason why they had trouble the other night because they're built to play with a lead, you know. And um, I think, you know, you almost look at like the old Colts, right? Like the Bill Polian Colts. And it's like, like they were maybe a little ahead of their time in that, you know, Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison and, you know, Edron James and, um, Dallas Clark, those offenses, you know, it, they were built to, okay, like let's take a 20 point lead and then we can tee up Robert Mathis and D Dwight Franey and just have them get after people. It's just, you know, like it's sort of like that model has, I, I think really like it's like swept the NFL now, like where you're playing to, you're, you're playing defense to, you're playing defense to, to operate in a shootout basically, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah, and and I, I think you make a good point on the whole investing in the back end. You know, that's why the that's why the matchup safety has now become vital in the NFL because those are the guys that everyone's looking for to try to match up against tight ends because a little bit of what has happened at defensive end in in terms of the 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 size and the shape of the player you know it used to be oh my god i got to go find me a jj watt i need a guy who's 66 290 who can rip and snort and get after the quarterback well now you'll take a guy that's 64 with those 250 with some athleticism and find different ways to allow them to rush the passer and quickly it's interesting that when you look back two weeks now a lot of LA's success, the Chargers against the Chiefs, was while wow, Justin Herbert was in there. So, you know, the Chiefs weren't prepared for him. When you look at it in reality, they had pass rushers that were yeah. able to disrupt Mahomes and they played some zone behind him. So, I'm not saying that what you play behind a great pass rush doesn't matter per se, but in the instance of trying to shut down Kansas City, those guys could get natural pass rush with four rushers and then drop people back. If you can do that, you can give Chiefs problems. And it's interesting you mentioned the Colts because that's a lot of the stuff that you and I in covering different teams in the, you know, in the first part of the two, you know, in, from the first decade of the 2000s to now the second, what would we always hear about in trying to stop Peyton Manning? You got to hit him, you got to hit him, you got to hit him. That still applies in modern day NFL, but can you do it with just rushing three or four guys or do you have to blitz in doing so? That's the big difference. Right, right. And, and you know, like same way like the Giants, like the, the Giants won two Super Bowls with being able to get home with four. Um, we'll stay right there on the Chiefs for my second takeaway. Patrick Mahomes is on a different planet. Um, <laughs> like I, I, you know, I, 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 I love what Russell Wilson has done through um, three weeks, and I think he's a very worthy contender for MVP. And if he wins MVP, God bless him. Lamar Jackson was great last year. There's a reason why he was a unanimous MVP. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is different, dude. Like it's just, and, and the two touchdown throws on Monday night, I, I think prove it because you look at it on one of them. I mean, that ball to Tyree Kill, uh, like he's thrown to a five foot ten receiver. That ball could not have been anywhere else, and he just flicked his wrist and put it there. 
Um, and then the second touchdown, then the, then then the the next touchdown to McCole Hardman, like where he like just I mean it was almost like the third and fourteen play from the Super Bowl where he was backpedaling, 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 and you can see the structure of the defense and how the defense was almost structured to cover a certain amount of field, and Patrick Mahomes' arm just completely broke that <laughs> you know like like it's like you know all these guys are sort of the defensive backs are played to are taught to play with a certain discipline and McCole McCole Hardman gets behind those guys and there's no other quarterback on the planet who could put the ball there and he puts it there and so you have that combat you have the combination of accuracy and arm strength in those two throws right and then you know I just you know I I it's almost like the Chiefs have become like those those great Patriot teams of the past where uh, you know, you would, it was either they have their A game and you have no shot or they have their B game and you still got to hold on to your butt at the end because Mahomes is coming for you. And we've seen that over their last five or six games, right? Like, so they didn't play very well in the first half in the playoffs against the Texans, then just blew them off the field. Uh, they handled the Titans same sort of way. Super Bowl, same thing. Like they got dominated for three quarters. They were still able to summon something. Then you see them against the Texans early in the year. Texans never had a shot, right? Then week two, they I think they had their B game, right? Like they didn't play very well. And Mahomes is still able to pull them out of that. And then in week three, they have their A game again. And I think what might be the second best team in the league right now gets completely blown off the field. I'm so impressed with him. And I just I I like, I think the idea that anyone is that close to him right now is false. I just, I think he's on a completely different level. The, what jumps out is his ability to uh, make throws outside of what quarterbacks would consider like structure for them. Yeah. And I know a lot of people say that making plays outside of structure, but that also means the way the quarterback throws the ball. There are some guys who have to have their feet set to be able to make great throws. There are some guys where we see diminishing arm strength. And then there are some guys like Pat Mahomes, who is in the prime of his career. He's at his athletic peak, you could argue. And he's got the ability to make all of these different kinds of throws back foot, front foot, falling backwards, flipping out there, like you said. He's got the ability to throw 50 you know, standing flat-footed if he needs to. It almost feels like he could take the snap and throw the thing up there and let somebody run up underneath of it, and he'd be able to get the right kind of air and touch under it. He, he's a wizard with the football. It's really amazing, and that's what stands out to me because, again, you go back to, like, San Francisco in the Super Bowl. You're right. They warmed down, warmed down, warmed down, and then when the D-line got worn down, the next thing you know, that offense picked up and it's quick strike. And that's the scary thing about Kansas City is that um, unless you keep them off the field, you have to guard them all the time because they're so explosive. They put so much pressure on you. You know, it's almost like that that uh, NBA or college team that yeah. can play at a frenetic pace. And if you let your guard down for even just one or two plays, it's, it's going the other, you know, you're, you're giving up a touchdown. Uh, and that's the scary thing about, uh, about Mahomes. But I go back to, he's no different than any other quarterback. You get in his face and you rush him and you disrupt the timing of that offense. 
that's where his yeah, athleticism has here, to take over. Here's, here's what here's what's unique about him, though. Like what I've seen, like so a lot of quarterbacks, like you hit them enough and you can get in their head, right? Like you hit them enough and it's like, all right, like then it has like a cumulative effect, right? Like it's like a boxer, right? Like you hit the you, you hit a boxer enough. And then by the time he gets to the eighth or ninth round, he's staggering around and you don't need to worry about him, about him, you know, bringing it anymore. Mm-hmm. And like, it's almost like, like with Mahomes, like he's immune to that. Like that happened in the Super Bowl for three quarters, DeForest Buckner and Nick Bosa and all those guys, Eric Armstead were beating the crap out of him, right? For three and a half quarters. And it was a textbook, like, all right, like, let's see what happens now. You know, like, again, I'll, I'll bring up my Mike Tyson line. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Like, he was still able to, like, compartmentalize all of those, like, the pounding he took and come back and put together maybe eight of the best moments, best minutes of football that we've ever seen on the Super Bowl stage, right? And then, you know, you see it again in week two. What happens? They had a hell of a time trying to deal with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa coming off those edges, right? The Chiefs had a really hard time with those guys. And the Chargers were able to sort of take control of the game early on. What happens in the end? He makes that sort of Tyree kill. It's just, I mean, to me, like that's almost like what takes it to another level is this whole thing where, and I think Brady was this way too. So I think this is like a huge commonality between the two. It's like you can beat the crap out of them for three and a half quarters and they're still able to sort of put their foot in the ground and turn in the other direction and make you sweat for the last seven and a half minutes of the game. It's mm-hmm. such a rare quality. And we saw it with, from Brady for years. It's why the Patriots were never dead when they were down. And I think the Chiefs have it now. And the scary thing is this kid just turned 25. <laughs> you know, like, but I, but I do think like, like you're right what you're saying about like the formula to beat him. But it's like, it, you know, you like, even if you do that for three and a half quarters, like he's still able to summon this at the end. Yeah, and their and their speed is a big factor yep. in in all of that as well. Now let's tie that into my takeaway number two, which is the NFL is now like the NBA bubble. The one thing quarterbacks don't have to deal with is crowd noise, hostility, none of that. These teams now playing in antiseptic environments with the decibel level turned up to eighty. You know, the, the first week Bill Belichick had mentioned, yeah, it feels like practice out there. Well, as we saw in the NBA bubble, that it, it, it really negated some advantages for good teams that you didn't have that, well, we're, we're going to go on the road and play the first two games somewhere else. When you go to Seattle, it is a completely different environment now. When you go to Kansas City, it's a completely different environment now. And what used to be carefully crafted great home field advantages, including teams knowing that they could take advantage of the noise that the fans are going to create and having hostile environments that you've got to go to. Now you're just walking into an empty stadium and you don't have to worry about crowd noise and you don't have to practice your silent count during the week unless you're you know up to something or you're trying to do something different offensively. And I think this is a massive, massive factor that people are already underestimating because, again, just going off of what we saw in the NHL and the NBA, it takes away those swings of emotion, and it really puts it on the teams to just straight up be better than your opponent on that day. 
There's no more walking into a building and crapping your pants anymore the way some of these teams used to when you went in and played a New England or a Kansas City or a Baltimore. So there's such a great example of that too. Like the Sunday night game, did you, did you see what Aaron Rodgers was able to do? Well, he was able to move around and have the snap count, and he didn't have to worry about any noise in the dome because there was he, no one there. He drew the he drew the Saints off sides. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like he drew that the, happens there. on a hard count. That there's no way. There's no way that happens yeah. in a full Superdome, right? Like on a Sunday night, like like the new people in New Orleans have had all day to get all liquored up. Like that place is ear splittingly loud. Yep. Like on that play and. Like Aaron Rodgers is able to basically pick up a free first down in a crucial situation that would never happen. And I here, here's here's another one too. And I I think this was fascinating because I was talking to Sean McDermott after the game, um, after the Bills Rams game on Sunday night, and you know we were talking about blowing the lead, right? And I thought this was a really interesting point that he brought up about the Bills at their at home like blowing a 25 point lead. Okay. And they had to come back. And of course, and everybody knows the rest of the story. Right. But here's what he said. He said, momentum without fans is swinging even quicker these days than it may seem, especially when you're at home. And so to have the mental toughness to reset and refocus in those moments, like we had to on the last drive coming off of what just happened, that's hard to do. And I don't take that for granted. Those are to me mental opportunities as a football team. And we executed them. How interesting is that? Right. Mm -hmm. Like momentum can swing. Like now, I'm not saying the Rams wouldn't have come back, but but I, I bet it would have been a lot harder, <laughs> right? Like I bet it would have been a lot harder for the Rams to come back in that environment. And now you think about like the the Bills now, instead of having the crowd behind them for that last drive, they're in like this antiseptic environment alone with their thoughts, so to speak, you know? And well, so um, imagine how worse it would have been in overtime in Philadelphia for the Eagles. And you, oh, look yeah. at it, you look at how that could work, you know, against you at home. We know those people down there. I mean, it's the whole. You get booed out of the, yeah, you'd be getting booed out of the building. No question. And, and, and look, I think from a psychological standpoint for a player, that does make a difference. You know, there's a ton of pressure on Carson Wentz already. He doesn't need Chucky from Pottstown, you know, <laughs> throwing uh, batteries at him as he's getting ready to, you know, go out there for what might be the final drive. And yeah, I, I, when, when the announcers, even at the end of the game, say, well, they're catching a break that this place is empty, you know, it, it lets you know the kind of pressure that fans can put on opposing teams and the home teams at the same time. No question. All right. We'll, we'll lead that in. We'll, we'll take that into our – um, our, my third takeaway, and this is sort of, I, you know, I, I guess maybe where the energy of a crowd playing in a full stadium, maybe could help somebody. Um, and we're going to go back to one of the teams that was sort of tangentially involved in the COVID thing earlier this week. That's the Minnesota Vikings. I think the biggest sketch game on the week four schedule is the Vikings going to Houston and playing the Texans. One of those two teams. And remember, Gresh, both those teams were in the playoffs last year, right? Both those teams, in fact, advanced in the playoffs last year. One of those teams is going to come out of the game 0-4. And, mm. and those teams are both older in spots. And, I, you know, you, you, you look at, like, kind of where the coaches are um, and how the coaches, things have been – were a little sideways on those coaches at the end of last year. And, um, you know, so it, it's – I think it's a crucial game for both franchises – and, um, you know, I think what could be wor like worse than just going 0 and 4, 
would be if one of those teams looks really bad and goes 0-4, gets 0-4, you know? And so whether it's the Texans, whether it's the Vikings, the Vikings' defense has been messy so far this year. The, te- the Texans, to be fair, I, I like, like they don't have friends that they're like, like it, it, at 345 Park based on the way that they were scheduled out, you know, to like have to play the schedule that they've had to play so far um, to have to play the the Chiefs, the Ravens, and then the Steelers. I mean, that's that's a really really tough draw, um, you know. But it is what it is, and they're zero three, and it's almost impossible for an zero four team to to climb back off the mat. Maybe it'll be easier this time this year because there are going to be seven teams in each conference in the playoffs. Um, but I think this is the biggest game on the schedule. You know, we're all going to focus on other things, but this, I mean, like sort of sets up as an elimination game and could have. Wide, a wide-reaching impact on either franchise. Well, in, in Houston, you're almost a nut-cutting time. Let's be real. If they go 0-4, is Cal McNair going to look at it and go, okay, this ain't working. We, we, we can't move forward with this. Now, I know there's contracts involved, and you know I, I like Bill O'Brien a lot. You and I both yeah. dealt with him. I think he's a pretty straight shooter, but I'm sure he'd also be the one to look at you and say, Hey, man, if I got fired, I can't start 0-4. Not that he's going to get run if they start 0-4, but then, to your point, you have to start to ask those questions. Okay, do we have the right guy for the job? It's almost like a team in another sport that you're consistently knocking on the door, and then you're like, okay, we're just missing something here, and maybe it's the head coach, and you decide to make a move there. Now, in football – that's wide reaching because then you got to address the general manager situation. You got a lot of people that mm-hmm. you'd have to move out of there. I don't think the Texans are unfixable. Yeah. But I mean, what are we doing in Minnesota here? I mean, how many years are they going to tweak the roster, do this, do that, bring in this guy, bring in this weapon? You know, I'm not a huge, I like Kirk Cousins as a regular season quarterback. I don't want that guy anywhere near my football team in the postseason if he could even get them there. Minnesota feels like that team. You know they feel like? They feel like the Houston Rockets a little bit. We have our core guys, but you know what? Let's reshuffle the deck around some of those core guys a little bit and see what we can do. And I know defensively they've had injuries, but, man, they just can't get out of their own way. And how many years are we going to hear about this great potential with Minnesota, yeah, and it never come. I mean, like at least Houston's won a damn division or two under Bill O'Brien. So, like, and I think Minnesota's Minnesota's issue, like, is like they've got this core of players that, and it's and it's a good core, and it's to their credit that they've built this, you know, um, where you know Harrison Smith and Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks um, and Danelle Hunter's younger, so like I don't know if I'd throw him in that mix, but um, you know, like Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins. Like they've got a lot of guys who Kyle Rudolph, um, they've got guys who are like not done, but like probably on the back half of their back end of their primes. And so, you know, you wonder now, is it like, like you've got like pretty significant flaws on your offensive line and a corner. And those are two areas that are pretty tough to cover up if you've got issues there. Right. And then the question becomes, for that core of players, can you get good enough in the areas you need to get good enough fast enough where those guys are still going to have something left? Or are you looking at it like, all right, well, we got to build up at corner. we got to build up on the offensive line. And now by the time you have that done, 
all the other guys are too old to do it anymore. You know, like they're yeah. sort of in this weird spot where, you know, I, 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 and I like a lot of what they've done and it looks like they had a good draft. I mean, Justin Jefferson, the receiver from LSU looks like he can really play. I like Jeff Gladney is going to have to be an answer for them at corner, but um, yeah, I mean, I, it does look like a team now where it's like you start to look at it and say, are they going to be in the quarterback business in the next couple of years? Are they going to be moving on from some older guys? Are they going to be rebuilding? And then the question becomes like, is Mike Zimmer the guy that you want to rebuild around? Or do you want to, it's just, I, I think there are a lot of questions there. That, no doubt about it. And Bert, my final takeaway is, did you ever, did you ever watch Bugs Bunny when you were a kid? You I think I know where you're going like the going with this because this isn't the first time you've you've used this line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great because Bugs Bunny <laughs> would always talk about either A, I should have taken the left turn at Albuquerque, or B, he would see a Miragi. A Miragi in cartoon terms is a Mirage. And we have two three and O teams in the NFL that okay. are a Mirage. I'm gonna see I know, I know. Go ahead. You're going to guess because I know. I think one's I, easy. I don't. I think, you're going to be shocked. Go ahead. One, one's easy. Okay. I have one in the AFC and one in the NFC. Okay. Chicago's the NFC team. There's no question about okay. it. Just because you flip the quarterback around doesn't make you good. The AFC team, Buffalo. Nope. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Oh. Oh, all right. That is right. a surprise. Yeah. Well, and and here's the reason why. Look, you know, they they beat the Giants on opening weekend and and opening weekend results, it gives you a little baseline, but you really can't go nuts on it. They about damn near collapsed at home against a backup quarterback in the Denver Broncos. So, it made me wonder, okay, how mentally with it is this football team right now? The old Pittsburgh Steelers would have been on someone's neck and they wouldn't have let them up, especially with a backup quarterback. You know, and then against Houston, they had some issues. They found a way to win the game. But I think we're starting to change our perspective on, on the Houston Texans. Now, maybe, just maybe, the Steelers are going to catch a little bit of a break here because the Titans might not be able to practice this week. And if they've got to play, you know, I know there are people on national networks who are saying, hey, it'd be unfair to make the Titans play this game this weekend. And I'm of the, hey, it got in your facility, it's on you. But when I look at the Steelers, I, I see a functional Ben Roethlisberger. I don't see that old Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, and, and I'm talking about the guy who can, even though he takes a hit, he can still find a way to get the ball out the way he needs to. I know they're really good at running the ball, but to me, if you're one of those teams that can slow down their running game a little bit and get them into third downs, I don't trust their offense right now. And defensively, they've done well, but, eh, you know, look, look at who they have played on the whole to this point. And then the Bears, look, Patting yourself on the back, coming back against the Falcons, that ain't nothing. I mean, seriously, you know, the Huckamock YMCA could put together a team right now who would be able to make a comeback on the Atlanta Falcons. And I like Nick Foles a lot. I just don't think he fundamentally changes that football team in a way that is going to be reflective of a 3-0 and record here in a couple of weeks. And I didn't look at their schedule in terms of who they're playing, but... Mm, the, the fact that they had to make that change just to be able to come back against a team who are noted choke artists yeah. and down 26-10 in the fourth quarter, 
I, I that to me that is as flawed a three and zero record. That three and zero record doesn't match what your eyes tell you when you watch the Bears. Okay, so if you can scratch it out this week, if you're the Steelers, let's start with the Steelers. If you can scratch it out this week against the Titans, I think you can beat the Eagles at home. Then you get the Browns, and now all of a sudden you're talking about potentially being six and zero going into Baltimore at the end of October. So, like, I just think it's like one of these where they do have some leeway to build a little bit, and I think that there's still talent there. Okay, like that's just where I am on them, um, and I don't think like that's totally in conflict with what you said. And by the way, quickly, the one thing about Pittsburgh that would show me that they're not who they used to be is that they don't have the slip up win, and you know yeah. what I'm talking about, right? Where they'd be seven and two, and then they turn around and lose to the Jets on like a Sunday <laughs> yeah. night. You go, what? That's the, the old. That? that was the old trade. The old trademark Pittsburgh. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah. So, as for the Bears, like I do think, so like Foles. The reason they went to Foles is because he operates the offense better. Bottom line, they felt like. He plays on time. He plays faster. And there are actually two plays where you can see it. You can pull it up, Gresh. With two minutes left or with a minute left in the first half, you saw them run a play. It was a three-by-one formation. They had two verticals to the left on the two inside receivers. Anthony Miller is the intended receiver. Mitch holds it, holds it, holds it, doesn't see it, doesn't see it, sails it over his head. Would have been a touchdown. The game-winning touchdown was almost the same play call. They flipped it a little bit where the two verticals were out, the outside receivers instead of the, in, the, the two inside receivers. Mm-hmm. But it was the same sort of thing. Foles adjusted Miller's route and took a hit and still got the ball out on time, and it was on the money. And I just think like something like that can be such a confidence builder for everybody else. And the one thing that makes me think that the Bears could be onto something here if Nick Foles can ignite Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, David Montgomery, Jimmy Graham, like it, like sometimes that's all it takes, right? And they're still pretty good on defense. So I don't think I'm like I'm not sitting here telling you they're gonna be 13 and three, but to get to like 11 and five now, all they got to be is eight and five, right? So like that to me is like I, I look at that. If the Vikings aren't as good as we think they are, um, I, if the if the Vikings like are are if the Vikings struggle like they have. So thus far, if the Lions can't pull themselves off the mat, now all of a sudden you're talking about maybe Green Bay being the really big roadblock in that division for Chicago. The other thing for Chicago now is that Trubisky's done. Yeah. In oh, that, yeah. Now, Foles is an injury risk, big time. And we've seen yeah. that over the years. So if this guy gets, you know, tattooed in the face or something that's like the that, issue. Yeah. there you go. You're going to turn to a guy that not only – the players don't have confidence in. Now he knows that the players I think he, have confidence in You know in what, it. though? I, I think, like, I honestly think – I don't have a problem with doing it the way they did it, though. And, I like, for Matt Nagy, for, uh, for you know, for Ryan Pace, like, if it was close, I don't mind giving it to Mitch because I think that the minute you went away from Mitch, that was it, right? Like, so if you had gone to full at the start of the season – you can't really flip, right? Because you like because there's so much history there. It's like once you go away from Mitch, you know, all right, like we're really kind of going away from him for good because we already declined his option. He's already he already had a really rough year three. It's like if it was close, and I know it was really close in camp, I think you almost had to give Mitch the first crack at it because I think for the coaches and for the front office too, it was always going to be a lot easier to go from Mitch to Nick than it was going to be to go from Nick to Mitch. By the way, the Bears, I just pulled up their schedule. Colts, Bucks, 
Panthers, Rams, Saints. Good luck. <laughs> all right. Um, well, we'll see how all of that plays out. And Andrew Gresh the third trip. We'll see you um, next week on the new feed, I believe. Right. Yes, that's right. Congratulations on all of the uh, different whatnot that is going on there at Sports Illustrated. And yeah. now you have your, uh, I mean, you've only been running everything forever. So it's, it's, I mean, it's about damn time that you would get your own <laughs> podcast feed and things like that. I just want to talk gambling with you because, you know, I'm a part of the degenerati. We'll have to. Uh, uh, yeah, well. well Oh, and, and, and we'll work and that I, out. And we, we almost, I almost feel like we got to give old Lou Pellegrino a call and get him back in the mix as a special yeah, guest every now and again. Let's not go that far now. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't need to increase the bold quotient on this show. <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, first of all, congratulations. And, and second of all, um, uh, thank you for having me. This is always a ton of fun. And, uh, you know, we'll see how many people I can take off. I'm sure Chicago, you know, for all those who had their raging Trubisky's a little while ago, I'm sure they'll be uh, all over me for okay. drilling their team at 3-0 and and having unbeaten really anybody. So you heard it here first. Chicago is uh, Trips, uh, New Buffalo. They are doomed. Oh, no, I hate Buffalo. I don't hate <laughs> Chicago. Because <laughs> no, Chicago deep dish pizza is delicious. And that you is true. chicken wings anywhere. Uh, wow, 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 wow. I'm not going to. Buffalo's wings are really good. Go to Duff's, by the way. Don't go to the Anchor Bar. Go to Duff's. Appreciate that, you. Wasn't that on the Simpsons? Duff's. No, no. I'm, I'm telling you, Duff's is the play. You got to go to the original, though. You go into the, the. It's this. It's. It's. I can't remember what town. I think it's maybe Amherst, New York, but the original Duff's. Like it's the, like I'm telling everybody who's from there tells you to go there and you can't go. They've got like kind of a chain now, right? So there are a few of them and the other ones are like sports bars, right? They've got TVs everywhere and all that. You go to the original Duff's, you walk in, no TVs. It's literally like just like a bunch of booths. It's like the most, like it is like, like there's like nothing there but wings. It's kind of like when you go to like, you know, if you go to like Dreamland, the original Dreamland in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Mm. All you can order there is ribs. And if you try to order anything else, like they look at you like you just got there from Mars, mm. like it's the same sort of thing. Like you go into Duff's in upstate New York and the original one, at least the, now the bigger ones, they, they have more, but you go to the original one, you're there to get wings. The best part about Buffalo is seeing it in your rearview mirror. All right. Appreciate you coming. Well, we'll, we'll, well, that's a good place to wrap up. We appreciate you coming out, Gresh. And we will get to our special guest right after this. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. 
that leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation. And loss. They did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status, to not pass it on to me. To dreams achieved. Or still yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. We started a hospital-based violence intervention program called the IV Project, and it stands for Interrupting Violence in Youth and Young Adults. To those who have been left behind. But no one talks about the survivors of the gun violence, and the number is rising because the gun violence has risen. Politically. Financially. Emotionally. Spiritually. This is where we are. This is Blackland. And one of the things that my father said to me before he passed away, it's like a, almost like a prophecy. He said that I would be helping men. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt, not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. All right, and we're going to bring back one of our favorite guests now um, for a little bit of a quarterback check-in through the end of September and looking forward to it, October, November, and December. Uh, he's a quarterback coach for a lot of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and one of the more well-known guys as far as developing guys for the draft, too. Uh, Jordan Palmer, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, so like, let's start here. Uh, I want to open it up to you. You know, we talked about some of the things that you were expecting at the end of August. Um, it's now the end of September. What's really jumping out at you? What uh, from in what you're seeing, like in a most unusual year at the position? Well, you know, we're seeing scoring up. We're seeing you know statistics on the quarterback side of things. Um, you know, higher than we'd seen at a pace, and and that makes sense for this offseason, right? I mean that. So much has to be said about the develop or the timing that needs to happen between quarterbacks and receivers and the offensive line. I certainly was one of the folks who said I think offensive line play is going to be poorer this year, especially to start, just because of the lack of the offseason. Um, but I, don't, I think maybe there's not a deep enough understanding about this or it's just not as cool to talk about. But what we're really seeing is – the delay in defense is getting on the same page, which is why we see so many quarterbacks thrown for so many yards, 
offenses scoring so many points. And, um, and so I think that's one of the big takeaways is it's taken these defenses a little while to get going. Um, the other thing we've seen is, and mo- a lot of people predicted this was um, just the injuries. You know, we had a crazy week two weeks ago, but um, you know, the pace that we're on right now, we're seeing a lot of injuries. So um, I think for, for me, the biggest thing is we're seeing a lot of points scored. We're seeing a lot of yards thrown. Um, and so my eye goes to the people that are leading that charge. And, um, and first and foremost would be a guy that you and I've talked about in Russell Wilson. Yep. So what do you see from Russ then? Like, and obviously I think we're all sort of looking at it and I think there's more on him this year too, right? Like their defense isn't playing particularly well. He's got some young players he's working with, you know, on, on his side of the ball, guys like DK Metcalf and Will Disley. Um, what, like just from a technical standpoint, where have you seen him taking steps forward? Where do you see a different player than maybe we've seen before? Well, you know, the defenses are not up to speed and there's an advantage for these guys and this and that. But I, I, with all that being said, like, I don't care. I've seen this guy miss like three times in three games. <laughs> so it's not this, like the, the touchdowns that he's throwing, I think it was about 14 through three weeks. Yep. Like that's super impressive. It's an NFL record. It's awesome. It's really cool. Um, but that's not the most impressive thing. Like he's not missing. Um, they are absolutely manufacturing ways to get their guys in space. And then when they do, he's hitting them. And then he's also on the, you know, whether you call them 50, 50 balls or whatever down the sideline. I mean, he's the best deep ball thrower in the league and has been for a few years now. So he's like literally not missing those. He's efficient underneath. Um, I just look at, the the way that Russell's playing and everyone's eye is going to go there because of the, the, the sexy story about him never getting an MVP vote and all that. Um, but as I've watched it and I know a lot about Russ and, and the folks that he works with, um, I think what we're seeing is the, the first glimpse of this new Russell Wilson. And here's what I mean by that. Cause this is year, whatever for him, right? Or was this year eight, nine, 10 for him? So yeah, it's, it's not a new yeah. Russ. Mm-hmm. You're not. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time with, with guys this off season. Okay. At this weird off season, I had a bunch of guys who were supposed to come to Southern California to train with me that COVID because it, you know, it was a, you know, well, let's wait till next week. Let's wait till next month thing. They didn't come. And then I had guys who were here instead of coming for, the off season and leaving to go back to their, their team for OTAs and stuff. I had them for seven months. Right. So like two things that were, <laughs> were, you know, certain guys got all significant, like more attention than I'll ever be able to give somebody. Right. And then other guys got none. And so um, one of the things I noticed, and I think this is true of Russ is this off season, these franchise guys, they didn't have any production days. Like they didn't shoot the commercial for the brand that they work with because of COVID. Everyone was shut down. So they didn't have any of those. They didn't have any meetings about signing new endorsement deals because COVID kind of suspended all these brands from really activating guys. The charity events normally you have in an off season. And I know this sounds insignificant, but hold on. If you play in three golf tournaments and you go to four galas, that's like seven full days, not including travel. Okay. But hold on weddings. These dudes are 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 years old. You go to weddings when you're that age. Nobody had weddings. So what happened was all these guys completely focused on football and completely focused on things that they've never had time to focus on, 
like diving deeper into mechanics, like maybe paying attention more to nutrition, like looking at getting IVs as a way to get more oxygenation in their muscles due to being having better fluid. Like it's just like they just looked at things that they never looked at. And so when I look at Russell Wilson playing out of his freaking mind, forget the 14 touchdowns, this guy hasn't missed. And I don't care how good or bad his defense or offensive line is because he's proven that that's irrelevant, the rate that he plays. I look at Russell and I go, actually, out of all these people that I've been around, he might be, on a normal year, the busiest. He's got a clothing line. He's got a famous wife. He's got red carpet events. He goes to her stuff and his stuff. He's on boards. He's the spokesman. He has a huge foundation, which he does camps all around the country for the Why Not Us Foundation, or, or if that's what it's called. So, like, this is the busiest guy who didn't get to do any of those things. So my theory on Russell Wilson is this guy was able to lock in in a way that he has never been able to lock in before. He wasn't able to do anything other than football. He works with Trevor Moad, who's the best sports psychologist in the world. He spent more time with him. He works with Jake Heaps, former Seahawk. Who they, they, he's his personal coach. He's his business partner. They run a camp called RWQB. Um, and he really, he's not some guy that puts Russ through drills. He really works with Russ. They spent way more time. And then the offseason, you know, DK and these guys spent undivided attention. And so what we're seeing is Russell Wilson, in a way that he's never been able to do before, has been so focused on football and so all in because there's not, hasn't been an opportunity to do anything else that this whole 14 touchdowns through three games, I think amortize that across 16, I think it's going to stay the same. I don't see a drop-off coming, so, Albert. So you think he's going to make a – like he could make a run at like the Mahomes year of a couple of years ago statistically. Like that's on the table now. With less weapons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with, and with more rushing yards. Uh, this guy, like, he hasn't missed – when he had a high ankle sprain in the MCL and stuff, he didn't miss a practice. This guy is completely available. You never see him take shots. And he's just playing at an all, all-time level. And, I, you know, this is the type of competitor. He says he wants to be the best ever. When he puts things out there, he tries to manifest it. And so, again, I, I don't – like, I just see him playing at a different level because I see him doing and committing at a different level. And oh. uh, and he's also been there and done that. He's won a Super Bowl. He's lost a Super Bowl. And so, yeah, I think what we're seeing is it's so fun and sexy to talk about Lamar and Patrick and even Josh Allen and all these guys. But what we're seeing here is like, well, hold on. A lot of people's mind made their mind up of what they think about Russell Wilson, whether it's that he's the greatest thing ever or that they think the unlimited thing was cheesy or well, everyone's kind of made up their mind. But I think he's yeah. just going to quietly have like break the touchdown record. Yeah, and it's interesting too because he's like, I don't know, like you kind of like look at it like where he's, I think he's 31 now, right? And like that's sort of become the quarterback's prime. Like the quarterback's prime isn't late 20s anymore. The quarterback's prime is really in their 30s, right? Like that's when Matt Ryan like had the big breakout year with Kyle Shanahan and won his MVP. You saw the way Brady played when he was in his early 30s. Like that's almost become the athletic prime for the quarterback now. It is. You know, there, there's different primes for different things. So, like, sprinters, for example, I believe it's 28 is, like, Olympic sprinters. Like, you think it's, like, when you're in high school and you're skinny and all that. No, it's, like, 28. But for quarterbacks, it's actually around there, too. 
And if you look at really good, good quarterbacks, their breakthrough years or when it started getting really consistently great, yeah, it was year six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And so that's why when you look at, like, when you compare Mahomes' contract and Watson's contract, it's like, well, hold on. Deshaun's going to be, like, kind of just getting into his prime if we're looking at these. Mm-hmm. And we see these, you know, we see Drew playing into his 40s, Tom playing into his 40s, Philip looks like he can continue to play into his 40s, Aaron, you know, would be the next guy. Um, but I don't think that any of them had taken this level care of their body that Russell has from the beginning. Right. So actually I look at Russell and I go, he actually has the propensity and the ability to play longer than all these guys because he didn't start this year five. He didn't, you know, it wasn't like he started eating healthy once he got married. You know what I mean? Like this guy's been from day one. And so we're seeing him start to play at a, at a different level than he's already played at. And I just, I don't see some little two, three, four year window on this. Okay. So, where else have you seen, I guess, gains like like from that sort of you know out of this weird off season again? Like, like is there anybody else that stands out to you as a guy who maybe hasn't done it to the level that Russell has? Because, like you said, if if he's only missed three times all year, and, and I trust you on that, like that's bananas. <laughs> that's one miss per week. Um, is there anybody else that stands out to you that's made those sorts of gains um, through three weeks? Well, actually, I got one that where I go, man, this guy didn't make the games. Um, I'll take it the other direction, and and that's Lamar Jackson. Um, I watched him last year, and first and foremost, I, 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 I he's one of my favorite players to watch. Like, I, he's just absolutely must see TV, and his reputation, who he is as a person. Like, I'm a huge fan of this guy. I love what he's what he's doing. I love what Baltimore's built around them, but. I, I, I watched him last year, and I know that there's going to be some folks who are going to go, what are you talking about? He was 71% or whatever his percentage was. Like, the fans will go and media members will go towards the percentage. I don't care about that. I'm looking at the detailed accuracy and the ball placement. Yep. And I, just, I, don't, I don't think we have seen, I don't think we will see an MVP-type player or a player who literally won the MVP who is consistently just kind of off. Like even the completions. So again, this isn't about completion percentage. Even the completions, the majority, my opinion, the majority of Mark Andrews catches are spectacular catches. (laughs) Like they were fantastic adjustments to a bad throw. And what happens is when we watch games in the fans and I, I'm a fan, watch games in the fans and the analysts, you know, we say, you know, look at like, that's gotta be like the other night, Hollywood uh, Brown, that's gotta be a catchable ball. Hollywood had a drop. I know. I think that ball needs to be on Hollywood's face. He shouldn't have to plant, come back, come inside, and then extend. I, I think that's a miss. And what happens is last year and the year before, if you look at where Baltimore ended their season, you know, Lamar in the playoffs last year, he threw a high one to Mark Andrews. He jumped up, tipped in the air, and it was picked. And I think it was Collinsworth said, you know, like it's something about the drop. And I just look at that and I go, that has to be on his face. Right. That is that pick is on the quarterback. And so this is a team that because the way they're built, they're good on D. I know they got beat the other night, but you know, they're gonna put pressure on teams. They're gonna, you know, open up play actions. But the other night I saw Lamar barely overthrow Hollywood Brown twice and Mark Andrews once. That's a completely different game if he's three for three. 
right. in throws over 20 yards in the other night, Lamar was two for 10. Patrick was seven for 10 with two touchdowns. So that's the game. And right. so one of the things that stood out to me this offseason was I was really hoping to see Lamar Jackson make a step in his detailed accuracy, not his completion percentage, his detailed accuracy. And what we have seen is Josh Allen has taken a step in that and the touch and the control and the, the, the thing that that as a quarterback, you know, as the quarterback coach and me talking, it's about control. Control leads to accuracy. I have not seen Lamar take a step in his control of the football, his ability to turn it over, drop it, control it, take tempo off of it, drive it. I haven't seen that step. And I have seen some other guys take that step. So that's like one of my big things that comes off is it's not sophomore year for Lamar. It's back, you know, coming off of an MVP season. Does he take a step? And I haven't seen it yet. It's September, but I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, do you think like, and I would think like part of that is too, is just that they were able to win a certain way last year. And maybe there's like a confirmation, right? Like in your head, like that it's like, well, this worked last year, so I don't need to correct it. Or is that what you I, no, guard against, no, I, I guess? I, I don't think, no, I don't think it's an indictment on the work ethic. It might be. Not the work I, ethic, but I'm just saying like what you work on. Maybe that, maybe there are some things you wouldn't have worked on because there's a confirmation in that it worked like a certain way last year. So maybe there are certain things that I guess like psychologically you would think were okay that needed to be cleaned up. Yeah. I think guys naturally try and get better. It, my, my kind of the role that I play or people like me play is like, if your goal for the off season is to get better or improve or outwork everyone air quotes, like that's not a, you can't measure that. That's a bad goal. Like, how do you know if you did it or not? The goals have to be measurable and they have to be attainable. And you also have to be able to attribute them towards some behavior or some routine. So those are the three key components to actual goal setting for an off season. I do this with a lot of guys. And, um, and so the guys that I work with, we, we weren't, we weren't trying to get better. We were very specifically working on individual things. And so, um, so a lot of players have that plan in place and some don't, but the ones who don't, like, I, I don't, I don't see the pathway towards improving those things unless you just, you know, your body changed or, you know, you figured it out on the fly or you got a really good new free agent receiver. But uh, I don't see how you do those things. And so with Lamar, he doesn't need to get faster. He doesn't need to, you know, he's handled the moment great. He's been, you know, he's been all these incredible things. I just haven't seen him take a, a step on the control of the football. And for anybody who's saying, well, the guy was the MVP. No, I know. I watched him the entire year kind of consistently just be a little bit off on the majority of the, the completions. The next step, though, to not lose in the playoffs or – to not get smoked by Kansas City is to not miss those throws because right. the people you're going to play in January, Patrick, like go down the list. Like, well, they're not missing those throws. Russell right. isn't. Patrick isn't. Aaron and Drew the other night aren't. Like that's the level that we're talking about. Okay, two last guys I want to ask you about before we get you out of here. Number one is Patrick Mahomes. And – I, I thought he made some throws like the other night that like the one to Tyree kill um, on the corner route, the, the, the deep one to, to McCole Hardman. Um, it looks Jordan like he's playing the position. And I know we talked about Russell being at another level. It, it almost looks to me like Patrick Mahomes is, is doing things that sort of break some of the rules of football. And, um, and I, like, it looks to me like he's as hard to defend a quarterback as I've ever seen. 
Um, what's your impression through three weeks having watched Patrick? I think that um, this is this is the absolute model for you get the player who you train to play within that system, and then you build the personnel group around them that accentuates that. So the speed of that receiver that they have, um, the consistency and the feel like when you if you just watched Travis Kelsey, if you watched game tape all twenty two, and you just watched Travis Kelsey, none of them, none of the routes are probably the way that they exactly the way they drew it. Like he's not running routes like take three steps in, five steps forward, and then break it. Like it's all feel, which is Patrick. I, I watched more Patrick in college live than anybody. And like that's how he plays. Mm-hmm. So like it's like that's the perfect complimentary piece to Patrick. And then what Andy Reid is doing is look what they did in the red zone. They threw the ball to their fullback. I don't even know his name. And then they <laughs> threw the ball to their left tackle. Right. So now when we get in the red zone, you literally have to defend everybody. <laughs> so what's going to yeah. happen is like that's going to get a favorable matchup on Sammy Watkins on just a simple goal line fade at some point, and Patrick will hit that, and that's going to get the play action, and that's going to get the screen to Clyde, and that's going to get the naked like I, the the Chiefs can inside the ten. What are you going to do? Right. <laughs> like what? You, and he can run <laughs> it in too. Like what are you going to do? So what they're looking at it and they're going is like less field goals. Right. So they're at the end of the year. My prediction is like. They, whatever the record is for like touchdown versus field goals within the red zone, like they'll be there or break the record because of the way that Andy is making you defend the entire field and every single person, by the way. Which is so and, interesting, which is so interesting too, because it's like the, I guess the game plan against the Chiefs would be like make them work their way down the field, take the big play away, and then try to win inside the 20. And Andy's like now making it really, really difficult to win in that box. And they also, that they do is they, they capitalize on matchups. So that corner route that Tyreek Hill ran to the right, high angle corner, like if you could hit pause and I could have a highlighter and go, this is the spot where they want the ball to land. Like it literally landed on that spot. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> dime. Forget hitting him in stride. He put it over his inside. I mean, it was just crazy. So, but that was on, um, who's the really good corner that that was on? That, was that on Peters? It was on Peters. Okay? I think it was on Peters. But Peter, on the yeah. release, they ran a shallow cross with somebody outside that just, just kind of chipped Peters a little bit, a little pick, a legal one, mm-hmm. like legal as in good, and it put him in a trail position as opposed to – he ran an outside breaking route versus an outside leverage defender. But the way that they're, they're scheming it and drawing it up, because of the release and the chip early, it knocked off Peters a little bit, and it put him in a trail position on a, against a player who's faster than him. And he still put it in a perfect spot. But if that ball's like, this is my point with Lamar. If that ball's like kind of underthrown a little bit, well, that's Marcus Peters. Right. He's going to bat that down. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the high angle corner that DK Metcalf caught on Stefan Gilmore. Mm-hmm. That was perfect coverage. That was an unbelievable catch. But the throw was so good that it, it didn't matter that it was Gilmore. It was indefensible. Like a indefensible. totally indefensible throw. All right. Last one. Cam Newton, go. Um, I think that the, this offense um, is going to be one of the most difficult offenses to defend, particularly with how average the offensive personnel is, like the receivers mm-hmm. right? and the tight end. Like, this is not Gronk, Welker, and you know what I mean? This is not those days anymore. But here's why. It's the evolution of it. I think Josh McDaniels and 
whoever else is weighing in on these things is getting to run and call and design and implement the things that they've been watching everyone else do for years and never been able to do and never had interest in doing, but they're able to take the collective learning and put that together. And I think the way that this evolves each week, it's evolving like crazy. Um, I think week 12, their offense is going to look different. You know, this guy's going to be focused this week. That guy next week, I think it's going to be one of the most difficult offenses to, to defend as we get further and further throughout this year. And does Cam look like himself real quick to, to finish up to you? It's a, it's a new Cam. We'll see. Okay. This guy this guy can extend the play a little bit. He can push the ball down the field. He doesn't have a guy who's going to crush everybody in one-on-one matchups like Steve Smith back in the day. Um, it's a new Cam, and I, I, I mean, this is different than just Kobe you know, changing his number, Michael Jordan changing their number. This is different than a new uniform. I think this is a new player who's learning new types of football and new ways to win. Which is going to be exciting to watch. Jordan, always appreciate you coming out. Uh, He's Jordan Palmer. We will be right back with our fantasy segment for week four. And we are ready for our fantasy segment brought to you by DraftKings. Uh, This week again, as we always do, we got Michael Fabiano from SI.com coming in. And Fabs, where I want to start with you this week is really with the news of the week. Um, you know, the and and we're just I mean, this this is fresh as we're recording this, that the Steelers Titans game has been moved and will not be played on Sunday, most likely be played on Monday or Tuesday, but even we don't but but you know, I mean we don't know what's gonna happen with happen with the testing over the next couple of days. Um, you know, so there's still some uncertainty over that. Uh, how do you approach this? Like, uh, this is like one of those, like, I guess, like uniquely 2020 things. And I, I, maybe we've had some of these things in the past with weather postponements and that sort of stuff. But, um, but this has got to be like sort of new territory for you too, huh? Yeah, it is without question. And I'm already getting a lot of, uh, questions on Twitter for, uh, for fans who are wondering, well, if it's a Tuesday game, most of the fantasy platforms out there flip to the following week. So like once the Monday night game is over, the scoring is over for that week and you move on to, in this case, it would be week five. Yeah. Obviously platforms are going to have to audible here and make sure that if this game does go off on Tuesday, that those points for that Tuesday game, which would be week five on the platform are accommodated to go back to week four. And really the only thing that I can tell people is that keep tabs on the news. Follow yeah. Albert Breer on Twitter and you'll find out whether or not they're going to play this game and when they're going to play this game, right? I would think the NFL is going to do everything it possibly can to get this game in in week four. And I would also feel like, Albert, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not the insider, you are, that we should probably know a conclusive answer by Sunday morning as it pertains to this game, right? Right. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the goal, well, right now the goal for them, I think, is to get the game played in week four. Uh, because you know, if you if you don't, then you know you're basically eliminating the margin for error you have down the line with these two teams in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing you do by playing now, um, and I said this earlier in the show, the other thing you do by playing on Monday or Tuesday is, you know, at the very least, you are able to. Uh, you create a roadmap for maybe how this might be handled in November and December. Because remember, when we get to November and December, we're not going to have the leeway of bye weeks, right? Like there there comes a point in the calendar where bye weeks are gone. Mm -hmm. And so I do think the NFL is going to do everything it can to sort of keep this, they're going to want to keep the game where it's at some, like somewhere in week four, 
um, as a baseline, just because they don't want to, you know, flip up, flip the apple cart upside down for three different teams, which is what it would take to move it later in the year. Right. Um, but I think there's also like that fa- the fact that like you know it's nice to have the leeway now, but maybe the the, the smart thing to do is to create a roadmap for what might happen in week 14 or week 15. It's interesting too, if you think about it, because, you know, then, you know, I'm sure you'd get belly aching from the teams. If, you know, you were moving a week 15 game to say to a Tuesday night, but if they do this now, they can point back and say, Hey, look, we, you know, we did this to the Steelers and the Titans Mm -hmm. back in week four. So this is just the way it goes in 2020. Yeah. And I feel like also another thing that you have to factor into it, although really this isn't going to affect the Steelers as much as the Titans is that, the Titans can't practice the, yeah. the entire week, right? So maybe Saturday, depending on tests, that's that's something I'm not 100% sure of. The I guess on the positive side, like Derrick Henry is going to be in your lineup regardless, right? As long yeah. as they're going to play a game and it's going to count for week four, Derrick Henry is going to be in your lineup. And other than that, Ryan Tannehill's not a good play in traditional leagues this week because the Steelers' defense, the matchup's not great. Uh, Corey Davis is in play, but I feel like he's a heck of a lot more replaceable uh, than Derrick Henry, that's for certain. Johnny Smith is also sort of emerged as a number one tight end, but he's probably not a guy that you drafted to be your number one. So in a worst-case scenario, you could probably replace him as well. So there's not a lot of Titans that are must-starts in fantasy at this point aside uh, from Derrick Henry, of course, A.J. Brown uh, still dealing with an injury, so he's not going to play. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, I think we knew from the beginning. It was funny because, like, I, you know, I guess like all of this is like, you know, everything that we do is sort of trivial to the to the larger story of what's happening with COVID in our country. But I think we did know, and I'm sure you were thinking about this from the start. We did know that this was going to wreak havoc on fantasy players and yep. gamblers. Like, there was mm-hmm. a potential for it, and. Um, you know, I think some people would probably consider it an upset that we got to week four without really much of a, much of a hiccup, but here we are. And now right. we're dealing with it. The NFL's done a, a very good job of it. And, yeah. and if people out there think that the NFL season is in jeopardy, it's not the NHL got through it. The NBA was in a bubble. So that's totally different. Baseball had a couple of huge outbreaks, including the Marlins, right? The Cardinals as well. They're in the playoffs right now. So the NFL season to me, I mean, it's 99.9% going to happen. You're going to see a Super Bowl. You're going to crown a champion. But we knew, as you mentioned, Albert, there are going to be some bumps in the road, and this is one of those bumps in the road. Okay, so let's jump into it for this week. Week four, uh, your DFS bargains and fades. Do I have the terming? Do I have the, the, yeah, the phrasing right? you absolutely do. Okay, That's the right, bargain, the bargain, Your bargains and fades for week four presented by DraftKings. And you can check this all out on my Stardom and Sidem column only on si.com slash fantasy. Uh, you can find that at si.com slash fantasy or si.com slash stardom Sidem At quarterback, love Jer- Joe Burrow this week at $6,300 against the Jaguars. Drew Brees in what should be a shootout in Detroit at $5,800. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick, he proved last week that the beard is more powerful than the mustache. And at $5,400 against Seattle, uh, I like him. Fades for me at the quarterback position. Tom Brady against the Chargers at $6,100. Ryan Tannehill against Pittsburgh having nothing to do with the COVID situation, maybe a little bit to do. And then Kirk Cousins, who had a very good game last week, not loving him at $5,600 against the Texans at running back. Daryl Henderson has emerged in Los Angeles' backfield, thank goodness, because we already have enough backfields we can't figure out. At $5,800 against the Giants, very good play. Mike Davis against the Cardinals at $5,700. And then David Johnson this week against the Vikings at $5,600. The fades at running back, 
Derrick Henry is not a fade in, in, in redrafts. So you're going to play him every single week. But at $7,400 against Pittsburgh, that's a little bit too rich for my blood. Mark Ingram at $5,700 is a little too high. And then Leonard Fournette, I tell you, Albert, anybody who can figure out that Tampa Bay backfield rotation, send me a tweet. <laughs> I cannot figure that thing out for the life of me. I don't know that Bruce Arians knows who's going to get the majority of the touches on a week-to-week basis. It's an absolute headache. So Leonard Fournette at $5,600, I'm fading. Okay. Um, you gave us a little bit, a little piece of the stardom sitem column. What else do you have for us this week on the website? Well, we've also got the PPR player rankings. I will update those daily. Those are right now up on si.com slash fantasy or si.com slash Fabiano. Also did a whole bunch of videos, stardom and sitem videos with my pal, Bill Enright. You can also find those at si.com. So we have got you completely covered for the week. And of course, for all of the the top fantasy football information and gambling information, make sure you check out si.com slash fantasy. Awesome. He's Michael Fabiano. Check him out every week here on the podcast. Again, we're going to be on our own feed starting next week. So you'll be able to find Fabs every single week here. He's presented by DraftKings. Fabs, always appreciate you coming out. Take care, my friend. All right. Thanks to Gresh. Thanks to uh, Jordan Palmer. Thanks to Fabs. All those guys are great. Fantastic show to Mark, our last show on the MMQB NFL podcast feed. And we are going to jump right into the six pack now. You guys know how that works. Every week we put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart button and you get an answer here on the podcast. Question number one, this will address some of the news of the day. This is from J. Richard Thumbs Up Taco at 97 JDR. Are there any allowances by the NFL if the Titans and Vikings have to miss much time this week, move games to Monday, etc.? We now know that they may move the game to Monday. They may move the game to Tuesday. We've got an interesting situation coming up here where I think you're going to be balancing like Gresh and I had talked about whether one team gets screwed or the other team gets screwed. And I think a lot of that's still up in the air. They still have the ability to move the game back into the mid into midseason if they need to. And so there's a question of whether or not you do that. Um, you know, Obviously, that would seem to be more fair to the Titans. Keeping the game where it is would probably be more fair to the Steelers. Either way, you're going to have inequities. Um, and so I think they have to consider all of that. Like every single piece of that has to be considered in the decision-making process. And I think a lot of it's going to deter- be determined on whether or not the positive tests come back this week. If if they are able to stay clean for the for the next three days, I think the Titans facility reopens on Saturday and they play the game on Monday or Tuesday. Um, you know, and then I think you're probably most fair to the Steelers that way. And you give the Titans two days to practice. They would have Saturday to practice, Sunday to practice, Monday walkthrough ahead of a Tuesday game. It's tough for both teams going into week four, of course, or week five, of course. But we all knew that we were going to be dealing with certain things that weren't going to be quite right in the, in the 2020 season all along. And uh, maybe I think, you know, the conclusion you come to now is that they were lucky they made it this far without having to confront anything like that. Question number two from Brat Brent, that's at uh, Cooking With Juice. Why is there a double standard on Josh Allen still? This is an interesting question, Brent, and I think what you're talking about is sort of the 
cherry picking of bad plays and the cherry picking of situations with Allen where people say, okay, like here's a, here's why he's still the same guy he was before when those occurrences are happening a lot less frequently than they once did. And I think that's a fair way to look at it. I also think to some degree, especially the quarterback position, guys never lived down where they were drafted. Guys never lived down some of the criticisms that they faced when they were drafted. And so you know, with a lot of people, when they broke down somebody when they were coming out of college, it's like if this weakness is here and I'm saying that this is going to be a death blow to his prospects in the NFL, I may be more apt to look for that even when he's playing well. And so I think that that's what ends up happening. You know, um, you know, unfortunately, these guys all sort of get put in boxes when they're going through the draft process and we all start to look at them a certain way. And I think that's probably what's happened with Allen to some degree. Question number three, this is from Timothy. It's at Petit Timothy. Uh, when healthy, can the 49ers offense score enough points to beat the Chiefs? I picked this question for a specific reason. I think you're asking it the wrong way. The 49ers showed us that they can play with the Chiefs in February. And they showed us they can play with the Chiefs in February because they've got a, the sort of defense that can contend with Patrick Mahomes. Why is it they can contend with Patrick Mahomes? Because when they're healthy, they can get home with four guys. And if you can get home with four guys, that means you can do more coverage-wise. That means you're cutting down the amount of time um, Mahomes has to operate back there. you got a better chance to deal with him scrambling around, all of it. So, um, you know, I think the, the 49ers are capable of creating the sort of game environment that can make the Chiefs a little uncomfortable and give themselves a chance to win in those situations. And, you know, when, you put it, when you're putting the Chiefs in those sorts of situations, maybe you don't need to score 40 to win. So, yeah, I think the Niners' offense can score enough points to beat the Chiefs when their offense is being supported by a really good defense. And they had that before the injuries. I don't think it can happen now with Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas and, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo on the shelf. But, you know, in the future, like, like, you know, you look a year or two down the line, yeah, I certainly think that the 49ers have the horses to keep up with anybody. They've drafted really well, and I think beyond just drafting well, they've drafted with pur- purpose. Question number four, this is from Mike. It's at Man Zero. Is Bill O'Brien's seat even lukewarm? Uh, signed a sad Texans fan. You know, I, I this is a good question. We address, I mean, Gresh and I addressed it. I still think you have to sort of see it through. Now, it sounds weird because he's been there for now. This is his seventh year. Um, so he's he's had plenty of time. But he made the playoffs a bunch. He made the playoffs before Deshaun Watson got there. And they've sort of reworked the roster over the last two years. And I think the way that they've sort of pivoted on the way that they're building, I think you have to give that some time to take root. And I don't know that a bad start faced with when faced with a just horrifically difficult schedule. I don't know that that's the time to be making these sorts of decisions. Now, if we get to you know December and they're three and ten, we're talking about something else. Uh, but based on who they've had to face, I think you at least have to see O'Brien's ability to ride this out. O'Brien's ability to kind of manifest what he's, you know, the division that he's been building on the last couple of years. And so, you know, I think you're looking at what the team looks like in November and December after they've gotten through what's a really, really, really rough bit of scheduling to open the season. Is this seat even lukewarm? I mean, yeah, like to some degree probably is. Um, You know, I don't think it's hot quite yet. Uh, Question number five, this is from Sean John at Cliffy X. 
help settle an argument. If the Jets and Giants were to combine their rosters for the rest of the season, are they a playoff team? That's a good question, um, Sean. And my answer is that you would probably have like an eight and eight or a nine and seven team. The offensive line would still be very young, but I think okay. The skill position players would be okay. You'd be overstocked at running back. If Saquon's healthy, you have him and Le'Veon Bell. At receivers, you'd probably just line up the Giants guys. At the tight end, you'd have Herndon and Ingram. The problem is, I think you still don't have great edge rushers, and that's an issue. The way the NFL, the way the NFL game is being played right now, you still don't have corners. And those two things is really, really difficult to play defense um, when that's the situation you're in. So now if, you know, you're having a hard time playing defense, now you got to score a lot on offense. Is that offense capable of scoring a lot? I don't know. So I, I actually think that team might not make the playoffs. Scary as it sounds, it's probably a sad commentary on where New York football is. I will say that I do think that, you know, Joe Judge, you got to give Joe Judge some time. And I do think that there's encouraging signs we've seen over the first two months um, with what Joe's been able to accomplish there in uh, in New York. Question number six, last question of the week, not who you, you think I am, at Don Ridenauer. Was Frank Reich the real quarterback whisperer in Philly? And is that why Wentz is going backwards? Yes and no. Like, I think Frank Reich and John Filippo did a really nice job. And obviously, after, you know, Wentz's second year in the league, you lose both those guys. And I think that's a factor. That has an impact. Um, I don't think it's the only thing, but I do think that it's a factor. I think there's another factor that some people are missing, which, you know, I think is, is is definitely something that we've seen across the NFL. A lot of times these guys come in the league and, you know, they'll get with creative offensive coaches and open-minded offensive coaches who are, you know, I, I think kind of of, of – they're open to the idea of, of playing a different way and setting things up for the quarterback and maybe going to some more college stuff to make it work for the quarterback – and then eventually what happens is the league catches up with it. And you have to keep evolving and keep adjusting and keep learning how to counterpunch. And I sort of wonder if that's where Wentz is, like that he hasn't learned to counterpunch. And I will say this, that like from what I've heard, having talked to some people who've coached against him over the last couple of weeks, um, what they're all seeing is a quarterback who's in his own head. Um, he's throwing what they call you know, worm burners, which are the, the it's you know the ball you see that goes into the ground um, as a result of the quarterback squeezing the ball too hard. That's one sign of it. Him holding the ball for too long, patting it, that's another sign of it. Um, he doesn't seem confident in the way he's seeing it right now. His presence in the pocket isn't great. Um, it just he looks like he's a guy who's like mentally in not a very good place right now, not playing very confidently, and that can be. I think that's a result, you know, again of like you said, the coaching attrition over the last few years, certainly a factor. And then you know, the second thing would definitely be the fact that they they had him playing fast in an offensive system that was and he was confident playing in, and you know, eventually you know you have to kind of keep evolving, and I'm not sure that he's evolved fast enough, and he if he knows that then that's something that's going to be a problem for him. Appreciate you guys coming out as always. And I'm going to ask you one more time. I need you guys to seek us out on on, on iTunes, on all the different podcasting platforms over the next few weeks. We will be moving the podcast to our own feed. We're going to be doing some fun th- stuff there over the next few weeks. But it's crucial for us over the next few weeks for our new podcast. I think it's going to be called The Albert Breer Show. We're going to, I'm going to double check on that, but I think that's what it's going to be called. Rate us, review us, 
Give us your comments, all your feedback. You know where to get me too. Like if you want to get me off the, those platforms, you can get me on Twitter at Albert Breer, on Facebook at Albert R. Breer, on Instagram at Albert underscore Breer. Um, but be sure to try, try to remember um, to comment, rate, review, all that different stuff on all of your different pl- podcasting platforms. And you guys can continue to listen to the other MMQB podcast too. You're just going to have to subscribe three times now. Subscribe to the MMQB podcast feed with Gary Grambling. Subscribe to the Weekside podcast feed with Jenny and Connor. And subscribe to my podcast feed, the Albert Breer Show podcast feed. You can find all of us on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. Same time next week. We'll see you guys over on the new feed. Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland, a podcast about the ground on which the Black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss, I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis, to dreams achieved or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it, I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind, listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, fellow 20-somethings. It's your girl, Sydney Winter. And guess what? The wait is finally over. Season four of Crying in Public is here, and I'm flying solo for the very first time. That's right. No co-host to rein me in. Just me, myself, and the mic. From relationships to careers and all the awkward encounters in between, we're covering it all. So mark your calendars and set your reminders because Crying in Public is dropping its juiciest season yet. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nazi V2 was a rocket-powered bomb traveling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V2 come into existence, and why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Justin Richmond, host of the Broken Record Podcast. Join me along with co-host Leah Rose as we sit down with the artists you love to get unparalleled creative insight. You'll hear revealing interviews with some of the most legendary figures in music like Paul Simon, Usher, Pete Townsend, Damon Albarn of the Gorillaz, and Missy Elliott. And you'll hear from up-and-comers like jazz artist Leve, who told me about her fast rise to fame during the pandemic. Listen to Broken Record on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.